What goes in must come out, and apparently what goes out can also come in again. That's right, poop, the forbidden snack. It's gross enough to think about poop on its own, but there's a certain unmatched biological revulsion that bubbles up when I think about eating poop. Er, not that I think about eating poop, but you know, when I do research on other animals that eat poop. As I'm chewing on these words, trying to figure out a way to frame this a little bit more delicately, well, my dog's in the background looking up at me in utter confusion. We share a lot in common, a love for adventure, passion for splashing in puddles, but we just can't share that same predilection for coprophagy. Well, Boots, my poop-eating pooch, this one's for you. Welcome to this single acorn pot scat. But first, a word from our sponsor. If you often find yourself crowing, see you later, to friends and family, you might just be in need of some see you later alligator postcards. You can get a 10-pack of see you later alligator postcards from your chomp change. Whether you find yourself roaming in freshwater, slow-moving rivers, swamps, marshes, or even lakes, our postcards make getting in touch with those back home a snap. Stock up today. If you're always on the go, you won't need to restock in a while. Hey there, fellow naturalists, and welcome to the Single Acorn Podcast. This is episode two in our season on scat, so theses on feces and lots more uh, of that. I'm Teague, uh, I'm the host, and I'm here with my co-host, Glenn. Glenn is the inventor of the pig pen's poopy pencil. Uh, so Glenn, you want to tell us about yeah uh, your magical yes. poopy pencils? Well, it's magic and science, Teague, as you might imagine. Basically, we compress a bunch of pig poop into a pen or pencil, as it were, and then um, you can write with actual pig poop, which is also usable to help in your garden. Um, it attracts other pigs in case you want more pigs in your sty. It's got literally two uses. Wow, that's great. I always feel a little bit guilty when I lose pencils because I feel like I'm littering, but it sounds like these are guilt-free pencils. <laughs> yeah, if you lose it, you're just helping the earth. Yeah. Um, in fact, we encourage people to lose them because then they'll buy more. That's our, that's our <laughs> motto. Lose it and use it, or use it and lose it. Yeah, we're working on our motto more. stuff. Yeah. Use it, use <laughs> it lose progress. it, and buy more. Yeah, it doesn't rhyme quite yet, but thanks for giving us the plug for that. So this yeah. actually sounds like a, a legitimate prog- uh, product. I actually, uh, <laughs> I got as a present a bunch of years ago, like a little notebook that was made out of compressed elephant poop. Uh, and so all the paper was yeah, made you can out make of paper. Yeah, you can make paper yeah. out of certain so, poop. So why not pencils? And then you can write on it, yeah, and you can write on it with pig poop. Yeah. Yeah, today's episode, we're going to talk about, uh, I mean, poop is already taboo enough, but we're going to talk about a taboo within the world of taboos, which is uh, eating poop. Double taboo. Double taboo. Yeah, so we're going to talk about uh, eating poop and, yeah, why animals eat it and the different ways that they utilize it. Um, And we actually, uh, so quick little plug here. So if you go to crowspath.org slash podcast, on there, we have a link to the Woodland Message Board, uh, and you can post questions on there. You can get in touch with us. You can come up with your own fake advertisements for us if you want to do that. Uh, We'll put them on. Yeah, so uh, Brian Pfeiffer is a fellow naturalist and friend of ours. Uh, So he wrote wrote in and he said uh, for what he wanted to learn, so coprophagy, which is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So coprophagy, of course, but uh, got any surprises for us? Maybe some species we might not have suspected of doing it? Give me some new frontiers in shit eating. So (laughs) here it comes. We're on the the frontier frontier, of scatology. And again, just a quick you know reminder to our our listeners at home don't necessarily try some of the techniques or practices we hear 
Definitely not. That's the tragic techniques. Yeah, you might not want to try this at home. I'm going to say don't try this at home. The constant refrain of, uh, yeah, this show is uh, <laughs> never try to emulate nature. <laughs> yeah. When I've done a deep, dark, yeah, fecal infested. There might be times, hole. but this is not one of those times, I would say. True, true. Um, yeah, so part of the reason we're talking about this is because animals aren't uh, 100% efficient. So whatever comes in, there's always something that has to come out the other end. Yeah, so poop is, as we talked about in the last episode, is uh, all of this stuff that gets ingested but doesn't get used in metabolism. And so there's waste products at the end of that. And so they eliminate that out. And quick note, can I make a quick note? Yeah, go for it. So I've been reading a bit about poop. There are animals who kind of make their pellets and then spit it out the same end, right? So maybe yeah. Maybe like an owl pellet. So sometimes it goes in, doesn't come out the other end, just comes out the original end. Just wanted to point that out. That's right. Yeah. So do you know why owl pellets come out? So a base, so describe what a pellet is. I think it's sort of a conglomeration of um, mostly like uh, fur and bones. And my my understanding, my limited understanding of this is that it's a little dangerous to pass bones through your digestive tract. So it might be better to just spit them out before they make the long, dark passage to the other end. Yeah, it's it's sort of interesting because... Um... So there are a few things that will make pellets in the bird world. So owls will, hawks will, ravens, crows, uh, seagulls will make them. And there are things that are ingesting. So with seagulls, it's often like shells of uh, marine or aquatic organisms uh, or snails. And so those are things that, yeah, if they pass through the digestive tract, it might be abrasive or yeah, do damage to the intestinal walls. So one of the things that always kind of struck me as weird is, well, if that's true for birds, why wouldn't predatory animals do that or mammals do that especially if you have something like a um uh like a fox or a coyote that when it ingests an animal it's often crunching through bones so i find red fox cat all the time that has rabbit bones in it that are splintered and i mean they have these long sort of tapering poops and part of the reason they're long and uh, tapering is because they're totally coated in fur that acts kind of as rebar to hold the shape together of these long turds so that they don't mm-hmm. fracture into small pellets. Um, and so then you'd have bone chunks sticking out. But I, I don't understand exactly why they don't just, yeah, regurgitate up in the same way. Is it um, the chewing? Does the chewing help them a bit? Because I think birds are not fantastically good at chewing. Yeah, without teeth. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but, uh, you know, I mean, for like a great horned owl, which is pretty large, they're swallowing mice, which are relatively small. Um, So it seems like they should be able to pass it back. I wonder if it has to do with maybe more of uh, some of that pre-digestion happening in the crop where a lot of the bone and fur can just get separated out um, before it's then passed on to the stomach. Yet another advantage of the crop. Another reason I want to get one. Yeah. (laughs) I haven't figured out how to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, wait, just to back up, uh, did you have a story that you want to share? Oh, a story. That you said before (laughs) this, you wanted to share a story. I do have a couple of poop-related stories. Um, As you know, I have a a child, but when I was in school, I think it was high school, we heard sort of, it was sort of one of my first encounters with sort of uh, different Freudian ideas, and I I remember the high school teacher was really (laughs) delighted to explain this idea about, you know, this phase that presumably children go through where it's, you know, sometimes called the anal phase. But the, the way he explained it, this teacher, was that poop is considered this, this marvelous invention that a child has made. And he's very happy about it. And he, he presents it as a gift. You know, he thinks of it as a gift that he's presented to the world and to his, maybe his parents, his loving parents. And then 
And it's often confusing when the parents don't see it the same way as a gift. Mm. So I remember being delighted to just hear that. We thought it was astounding, you know, that we would that anyone would think of poop as a gift. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then later I had a similar delight. If I could finish Wait, did you ever gift story. wrap one and give it back to us? <laughs> it's like an end of year thank you present. Yeah, to the teacher. Yeah. Yes, thank you for everything you've taught us. Yeah. Um, like we should have. Second part of the story. So I remember that sort of delight at the, at the absurdity of that, but it sort of made sense, but seemed 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 illogical to us. And then, um, do you know about the tradition in in Catalonia of the uh, Tio Tio de Nadal? No, no idea. It's the uh, so apparently it's a Christmas tradition in in Catalonia and s- some other places. It's this giant log they have around Christmas, and it's it's a poop. It's a poop log. <laughs> And around Christmas, they they have it for a few days, and they they sing songs to it, and they kind of feed it symbolically, and then they beat it on Christmas Christmas Eve. They beat it with these sticks, and it poops out presents. It's sort of like their Santa Claus, but it's a poop log. Incredible. And when I first heard about this, and you can look it up, Tio Nadal, our our listeners, maybe it'll be in the show notes. I had the exact same similar delight, delighted feeling that I had <laughs> um, in high school when I first heard about the the poop as a gift. But now it's like. Uh, you know, Santa Claus is a giant poop in another culture. Wonderful. But I, th- I think <laughs> I just I'm making a little plug here. <laughs> it's hard to say plug on this particular season without thinking of fecal plug. But you know, yeah. if if any of our listeners out there want to bring out Tio Nadal, you know, look it up on Wikipedia and maybe we can get some sort of you know group online group going, support groups that help us get the right song lyrics and so forth, so we can have poops pooping out presents for us. Have logs. <laughs> it's actually not a poop log. I think it's a regular log that poops out presents. Okay, got it. Got but, it. but the log itself resembles a poop, so it's confusing. That's amazing. One of the many delightful, yeah. So that's my story. Nice. Can you? Uh, so you've already referenced uh, fecal plugs twice. Can you just, uh, <laughs> yeah, describe <laughs> that for us? <laughs> well, you've probably heard about that. I've heard that it's it's a thing right now that people people want to um, people who take too many antibiotics or have surgery or something they lose their micro their their gut flora and fauna, so they. Uh, get a little fecal plug, a little poop uh, transplant from someone else, and they get it put up in there. Oh. Restores, restores. And that's what I thought a fecal plug was. I thought you were uh, referencing black bear fecal plugs. I Maybe I was, unintentionally. What is what are black bear fecal plugs? Oh, that's when they've been hibernating all that time, and then they just... Yeah, out. so they basically they they become constipated, and so they have this backlog of all of these sort of like hard, dry masses of backlog. feces mm. that block up during winter hibernation. That must and then be in so the spring, painful. They, must yeah. be the worst constipation ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, luckily they're asleep for most of it. But when they wake up, mm. yeah. All right, so let's get to the the ingestion part. So yeah, copper phagy or uh, copper vores. Um, so vor just eat, uh, and then copper is Greek for poop. So things that eat poop. So why would you eat poop? Kind of already hinted around this. So you might eat it because there's still nutrients in there. Um, but there are a few other reasons that animals will ingest. Yeah, the turds of both their themselves, themselves and, and others, the turds of others, and then other species. So what are some of the other reasons that you could think of? Well, I imagine you don't. If you are a an animal that's about to, that may get eaten by a predator, you might want to hide hide your presence. You don't want your yeah. poop just sitting around as a big signal, like I'm in, I'm in here and come eat me. I know some birds carry away the little fecal sacs, right, of their young, far away from the nest, so they don't eat it, but they dispose of it. Maybe eating it's more efficient. Well, they they do. So I, well, they, both. So I have Carolina wrens nesting on my front porch right now, and uh, yeah, they fly out. So the the young, the nestlings, 
they have a special type of poop where it's coated in this membrane that's like a sort of protein-rich membrane that encases the waste. And then there's a a couple different things. One is that with some birds, uh, they'll poop, like the Carolina wrens, will poop around the outside edge of the, the nest. And then the parents, when they come back, will grab these little fecal sacs and then fly away and distribute them around for some reason i have a little pond in my backyard that i dug and i have all these we had grackles this spring that nested somewhere nearby and grackles for whatever reason love to deposit these fecal sacs in water and so the little pond was covered in these little (laughs) floating fecal 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 sacs yeah so mostly they're getting rid of it because if you just pooped in your nest then the nest would just fill up so volume wise it would be super problematic hygiene hygiene as well yeah, hygiene's the other really big one. So it's a way of keeping a nest uh, hygienic. Uh, one of the interesting things with with these little fecal sacs is that with so not all birds will eat the fecal sacs, but uh, some parents will eat the fecal sacs, and there's a tendency to eat more fecal sacs when the birds in the nest are younger. And so you can imagine, like as you develop your digestive tract also develops and becomes more efficient through time. And so early on, the nestlings are really inefficient and they're eliminating a lot of nutrients that they didn't absorb. So the parents will ingest those. And what's interesting is like with, um, I think it's uh, uh, like scrub jays and crows, there's a tendency for the females to ingest more fecal sacs than the males because the females have expended far more energy in egg production than males have. Yeah, and that's for with mated pairs that co-raise the offspring, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. So if you're going to eat your offspring's poop, eat it early and maybe let the um, women eat first. Yeah, the, exactly. One of the Be polite. Again, <laughs> don't imitate animals, but if you were. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, so the, the hygiene piece is definitely a part of it. But then it's also like, well, I mean, you can... Uh, so that's the hygiene piece is about removing it and then the eating it piece is around uh, ingesting nutrients also so sometimes with carolina wrens uh, and other species i'll link uh, to a video that i watched earlier this uh, season when i was watching the wrens do this i looked it up online (laughs) and there's this video inside a carolina nest they're usually nesting in cavities so it's inside this cavity and one of the offspring turns around, all the baby birds have their mouths open or facing up, and then one of them turns around, presents its backside to the uh, either mom or dad, and then uh, slowly extrudes out this fecal sack. <laughs> it's a really gross video. And then the parent bird takes it uh, immediately out of the cloaca of the nestling and then flies off with it. Which huh. is That's polite, though. Makes it easy. Easy wild access. to see. I wonder yeah. if any time all the all the babies do that at the same time. Yeah, it would be a little overwhelming. Yeah. For the for the bird cam, it might be a popular clip on the bird cam. Yeah. So that's a, a signal that the baby is giving that's like, hey, this is about to happen before this can hit the nest and sully up, you know, the bottom of yeah. what Incoming. we're seeking on. Yeah. And so sometimes the b- babies are good at initiating that experience, but sometimes it's the parents that have to initiate it. So with uh yeah with uh, uh mammals in particular licking the anus can stimulate yeah defecation uh i was going to read this to you and omit the word but we already started down this road so i'll just read this to you okay and i was going to guess what they were talking about but okay i predict uh, it's anus licking yeah you're right uh let's <laughs> let's see if you can guess what this is from maybe we'll do that so uh here's the quote 
it is important for you to simulate this behavior. Holding the opossum upon a surface, lift and hold the tail aloft <laughs> between two fingers. Manually stimulate the young prior to feeding by gently rubbing the perineal area with a cotton ball, cotton swab, tissue, or cloth moistened with warm water. Rub gently from front to back until the opossum urinates and defecates. Do not be alarmed if the opossum does not eliminate each time. For the opossums who didn't eliminate prior to feeding, try to get them to eliminate after feeding. The others may have licked the area, causing the young to eliminate in the bedding. And then it goes on from there. So, yeah, what do you think that's from? Who would be um, writing that? <laughs> I think that's from a single's guide for dating. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe how to raise a happy pet. Um, fun activities on a, for a rainy day with your children. Yeah, and your that's pet possum. I, I feel like maybe, okay, it's important for you to simulate this activity, it said. Important for you to learn how to do it yourself. Yeah. I don't know if it maybe potentially veterinarian, you know, veterinarians who need to uh, treat prob, uh, defecation problems in possums and other marsupials. So yeah, totally. So, veterinarian guide. Yeah, so with marsupials, uh, because they're raising their young in the pouches, and it's similar to the nest, where if you have your offspring that's in the nest and it's you know defecating and urinating in there, it's going to get pretty gross pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So marsupials will lick the. Well, yeah, uh, what you're supposed to simulate. So licking the perineal, the anal and genital area, and that stimulates the uh, offspring to defecate and urinate. And with uh, so this is a guide to raising Virginia possums for veterinarians and people doing wildlife rehab. So if you have a bunch of young where the parent has died, they then you they won't defecate or urinate on their own. You have to help them. Frequently, give them yes, a helping hand. Help literally. Yeah. Fortunately, you do not have to use your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that because my my dad was a veterinarian, and we actually but, had a possum, uh, but we had an, uh, a mature possum, so we didn't have to stimulate it. it could defecate. Yeah, that's the kind of job you give the kids. I would say. Yeah, that's why it's tough to be a child of a vet. Yeah. So they did that for hygiene within uh, the the pouch, but you mentioned for predator avoidance and with deer for like the first month that a fawn is alive, the the doe will do the same thing where they'll lick the anus. And then as the fawn, which is basically helpless and isn't going to be moving around foraging for food, they're just still going to be nursing. And so because they can't move around, they can't defecate or urinate in an area and then move to a new spot. So the mom will lick the anus cause the fawn to start to defecate and urinate and then ingest that as it's happening so that the fawn isn't just leaving all this waste around that would attract a predator. It's a pretty gross system, but it's pretty efficient. The nobility of parenting, huh? Uh -huh. Sacrifices we make just to add it to the list. Yeah, I definitely did not make that sacrifice. Again, don't do that one at home. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have to repeat that with each instance, but... I think this is a good one to repeat it once. Yeah. I I I don't remember the I think it was like Feldhamer and Feldhamer and Feldhamer or whatever <laughs> some uh textbook that was, I think it was called Mammalogy or something like that. But they had a section in there on sewels which are do you know have you ever seen one cuz you you spend a bunch of time out in the northwest. The American mountain beaver? Um I've heard of them. I've heard of the mountain beavers, but I've never I don't think I've ever seen one. Yeah. Sadly. They're they're gross they're like full circle animals you know where they're so ugly that they're cute (laughs) they have these like tiny little beady eyes they're just pretty unattractive little yeah Mm -hmm. um well they're furry but uh they have these underground chambers and 
they're coprivores, so they'll they'll eat their own poop. It was so gross. The description of it was they have these enlarged uh, incisors for extracting out fecal uh, pellets that then they'll store in these underground fecal chambers. I think that might be a slight mismemory on my part. They do have separate chambers where they'll defecate, but like with rabbits, um, which is another herbivore, uh, rabbits have two different types of poop. So they have these uh, sort of softer pellets that are called cecotropes, and that's the same thing the sewels have where they'll ingest food, it'll pass through their digestive tract, and then they'll poop it out, and as they poop it out, they'll eat it. And so that's what the sewels are extracting and then ingesting again. But then with the sewels that live in these underground burrows, which is the same as like European hares that live in underground burrows or warrens, they'll have separate chambers where they'll they'll poop in those so that most of their waste doesn't wind up just sort of scattered about and making their little burrows quite unhygienic. <laughs> So hygiene is definitely a problem. They're also like um, uh, leafcutter ants. I, I thought this was really I cool love when I was them. reading this. And so uh, they're subterranean, or they'll spend time, obviously, foraging above ground. Um, but they have this whole network underground that their caste system has specific jobs set aside for foragers. So about 90% of a colony of leafcutters will be foragers, and about 10% will be the sort of waste w- management workers. And with a lot of these social insects, they'll do job switching. So as an individual gets older, it'll switch uh, different tasks. But because if you're working with waste, then you're working with all the toxic stuff and potential parasites and pathogens. And so anyone who gets stuck with (laughs) the waste management for good, for good, that's it. That's they have one role for their whole life. That is a bad luck of the draw there. Yeah, so instead of having these underground chambers where they all go to defecate, they um, the uh, workers will collect the the waste, the frass from the ants, and then they'll bring it outside into this pile. I've and seen then those the, piles. Yeah, they're they're enormous sometimes. Yeah, the waste and then pile, the, the foragers the foragers will have to take these. You can imagine if like you had a really sensitive nose and you had to drive by a landfill, you might take a longer route to avoid going by it. And it's the same <laughs> thing where the average roots of the ants to their food sources are like 6% longer so they can avoid going to these or going near these waste piles. So hygiene has to be something that's, you know, a critical component of like waste management for any species. And yeah, there are a bunch of different ways of doing it. (laughs) That one's not so different from the human way in some ways. No, not at all. Yeah. Although we don't have like self-isolation of people that work in waste management. Not usually, but I think some, you know, there, at least uh, historically, I think in India, so there were castes that would work with waste management and mm. they were shunned by the rest of society. Unjustly, want yeah. to add. So again, let us not emulate nature too closely. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's okay to take a little detour to avoid the city dump in some circumstances. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is a, a huge problem with like environmental justice where often waste sites are situated next to low income and yeah, minority groups. So yeah, I mean, there's human tie-ins there with like, yeah, the hazards of being near waste um, contaminants. That ain't right. That shit ain't no. right. No, <laughs> no. Hey, for a pun, anything's fair. <laughs> I think I, I think I mentioned, uh, uh, maybe I didn't mention this last show, um, one of my friends has described this season as a literal shit show. Our yeah. Podcast, so <laughs> yeah. Put that in our tagline. I'll try not to use the S word too much, though. It feels, feels a little vulgar. 
Yeah, but I mean, we're diving into uh, a vulgar you know, topic, so it's all right. Diving into it, you're right. Yeah. The last uh, reason that uh, an animal might eat its own, or at least uh, of its own kin, would be inoculation. So uh, you were actually talking about this earlier with fecal plugs with humans, getting these fecal transplants. So I think we talked about this on the last episode, where turning meat into meat is really easy, and turning turning plant into meat is really difficult. So if you look at the size of the size of the offspring relative to the parent's body size, the biggest disparity is with uh, pandas, where I can't remember the percentage, but and it's because pandas are herbivores eating bamboo, which is extremely difficult to digest. And because bamboo is so difficult to digest, they have these tiny, tiny little babies that they wean or they mostly feed milk for the like a, a very long time to build up body weight slowly on this thing because it's easier to turn that milk into body mass than it would be for a young organism to convert cellulose essentially from bamboo to into protein. to protein how small are they are they like the size of a peanut yeah it's, it's really panda. it's really small um i can't remember off the top of my head maybe you can fact check that uh in real time here um but uh in order to sort of jump start the efficiency of a digestive tract a lot of species of herbivores in particular will inoculate their offspring and some of this just kind of happens haphazardly by being not super hygienic so if you're a baby elephant and you know you're weaving in and out of your parents legs and feeding on the ground um, where the elephants are pooping and they're pooping all over or if like you're a rhino and other rhinos are pooping and spraying their, their <laughs> feces all over Tired you're gonna just yeah, it's hard to avoid, and so you're just going to ingest it. Actually, uh, so Giardia, which is uh, obviously a pretty nasty parasite, and people get it when they're camping, and a lot of people can be uh, asymptomatic carriers of Giardia and just not have it treated. And uh, so like I think it's like 80 or 90% of Giardia cases come from other humans. And when you go camping, your hygiene goes way down. So you're not washing your hands as much, and so there's like... You just have fecal parts on your hands. <laughs> um, and so you're just sort of contaminating your food. And then whoever you're camping with is ingesting that. So it's not necessarily that you're getting beaver fever and drinking water that's contaminated with yeah, yeah. Uh, animal feces. But it's more just a hygiene thing. But if you're an herbivore, that lack of hygiene can actually be helpful. So those elephants are getting inoculated with the gut flora and fauna that would help you break down. Uh, those digestive uh, or would help you break down those the plants that are plant hard to materials. digest. Hmm. Yeah. But for humans, not so much. Yeah. The first meal that a koala eats is actually, yeah, it's mother's poop. And it's because, yeah, they're eating eucalyptus, which similar to bacteria is, or similar to uh, bamboo is really hard to digest. And so they eat their mother's poop to get that whole uh, set of equipment essential, the bacteria uh that's essential to break get, down get the, the machine going all right yeah. well that balances out a bit all the parental eating of poop <laughs> that we yeah. talked about earlier glad yeah. to see it goes both ways yeah did you fact check did you look up how big uh pandas um yeah they look like they're born you know sort of naked and very vulnerable and small smallish hard to tell how big <clears throat> i would say about the size of a rat or a mouse yeah yeah so basically what we've been talking about is uh, animals eating 
their own poop or their relatives poop um but you can also that's not a super efficient system where like you couldn't have an ecosystem or you couldn't have a species that only ate the waste products of its own species, right? You'd have to have some sort of external inputs. And uh, But there are tons of species where their niche is feeding on the feces um, and waste products of other, yeah, of other species. Maybe like the noble dung beetle, the dung beetle that we've all heard tales of. Yeah. I think the unfortunate thing when I think of dung beetles, I always think of Africa. And they're obviously like the rolling you yeah, know, dung beetles. Yeah, but we have, I think here in Vermont, there are three or four different species of dung beetles, and we have some dung, like, rollers. See, I didn't know that. We have rollers? Rollers Yeah, we have rollers. So we'll talk about poop as a tool that animals uh, use for various purposes, probably in the next episode, and foxes will mark territory uh, using their their droppings, both urine and feces, Um, and I saw there was this sort of territorial battle between a red fox and a gray fox by this retention pond near my house and one had dropped a little drop of feces a little pile of dung right at the entrance to the between these gates to this retention pond and i there's some phragmites there and i grabbed some of the phragmites and i was using it as little like tweezers to pry <laughs> open this thing and then all of a sudden the poop started moving oh my and my god. heart just like jumped i was like oh my god is this an animal or is this poop um <laughs> or both. and then it took it turned out there was a, a little dung beetle that was inside the poop that uh, had already found just it. Happily, and was, just yeah. In blissing out, as they say. Yeah. Huh. Well, I, I, now my understanding is many dung beetles, they make a ball and then they'll lay eggs inside the ball. And that's like a sort of their egg for their yeah. babies who didn't eat the poop, right? Yeah. On it. So they're yeah. poop eaters. Yeah. Um, and often what they'll do is they'll, they'll bury the poop. I mean, particularly in like an arid climate. If you had a pile of poop that your young were depending on, keep it and moist. yeah, you would want to keep it moist. Like yeah, so burying it would yeah, keep it from drying out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a behavior called uh, mud puddling that a bunch of butterflies and moths will do, and mud puddling, as the name implies, is uh, you know can happen on mud or in like mucky water, even in just in like pure water, but it often happens on poop. And you get uh, with all these uh, butterflies or moths where they're all land on this thing. And sometimes if one lands on a pile of poop, then it'll attract more because they're like, oh, that's a good source of uh, whatever. And it turns out that the whatever is mostly salt. But yeah, like cabbage whites, which are super common butterfly that we have. Moth? I think there may be a moth. I think there might be a moth. They, uh, yeah, they'll drink moisture out of scat and then also... Uh, ingest salts out of it so it's mostly a, around salt uh acquisition i think they're butterflies though turns out they're butterflies. it turns out they're butterflies but I think butterflies and moths both alike I'm, I'm guessing sometimes go to the poop lick yeah for their salt needs yeah. uh wow <clears throat> seems like a puddle might be a more hygienic choice i wouldn't want to go camping with a bunch of butterflies no i've been doing that the beaver oh, you fever can pack light butterfly <laughs> My friends are so washing their hands more yeah. this week because I camp a lot, Teague, but I didn't realize. But I was the beavers the whole time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's also the beavers for sure, but not exclusively. <laughs>
Uh, so with dung beetles, dung beetles are definitely specialists, and you know there are thousands of different types or species of dung beetles that specialize in different types of behaviors. There are some that are rollers, that are some uh, that are just collectors, or some that will live inside the poop. Uh, Do they so specialize? They're... I'm sorry to interrupt, but in different types of dung, typically, usually, or will they just any dung will do? No, they're uh, they're specialists. So, so the ones that we have here are more generalists, but um, there are specialist species within for like a specific um, type of dung. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're able to partition that resource out and use it in a bunch of different ways. But one of the other really cool types of specialists for poop uh, is with ants and uh, aphids. And it's not just ants. There are other species. There are like some uh, geckos and Madagascar that will also do this. Um, but with ants in particular, ants are really aggressive defenders of uh, a resource. So like if you look at uh, the the stem of a cherry leaf, they'll have these little knobs on it. And those are called extra floral nectaries where the leaves are all producing nectar that ants will go to gather. And in exchange, the ants are defending Defend the, the plant, Defend the the plant yeah, from other potential parasites. And with aphids... Aphids are uh, parasites that live on plants, and they're drinking sap. And when they pierce, so sap, the you know water, the liquid inside of a plant is under a lot of pressure. And so if you pierce that, sap will come running out. So if you uh, are a tiny little insect and you pierce the stem of a plant, and then you have the sap flowing out, there's a lot of pressure being put on your digestive tract as that you know, sugary water is yeah. getting squeezed into your body. And so it just kind of gets squeezed right through. So there's a lot of waste in feeding this way for aphids. And so it just kind of gets squeezed out the other end. Some of the sugars get absorbed by the aphid, but some of it gets just squeezed out the other end. And then who's on the other end of that? Well, it's your good friend, the ant. Um, <laughs> that are ready eating to take this, advantage. Like, honeydew, yeah. Oh, so I thought they milk the aphids, but they're partly just benefiting from this highly pressurized quick poop. Yeah, I mean there Quick are delicious poop. Yeah, there are behavioral interactions where, like, with the uh, I think it's with the geckos, where they'll nod their heads up and down and be like, "Hey, I'm ready," and so then they'll you know drop out these little droplets of honeydew. But with the ants, it's it's they're definitely like they're tending to these flocks of uh, aphids, and they'll actually pick up and I just have this hilarious <laughs> image of an aphid getting like backpacked around by ants, but they'll pick them up and they'll move them from one host plant to another. Um, and they'll also <laughs> like tend to them with their little antenna where they'll kind of guide them along plants. <laughs> so you just have these sort of dumb cow like, uh, aphids <laughs> that are getting tended and by then these. They hit like a gusher and then boom. Yeah, exactly. They get some, some for you, some for the ant. Yeah. I've noticed that happen to Finn some when he, my son, when he drinks a lot of gogurt, he'll squeeze it really hard and then yeah. <laughs> be come lot, right out the other end. Come right out the other end right away. When he was yeah. a kid. Not now, Finn, if you're yeah. listening to this. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, but it's pretty cool, a, a pretty cool system where it's like, it's gotten, uh, you know, pretty, like ants have specific adaptations for uh, nav or maintaining this relationship. Um, yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention it with the the dung beetles, but one of the maybe I could just throw this back in um, with dung beetles. One of the the cool so they're super efficient things. So like with the Carolina wren nest that we mentioned earlier, the the waste products just build up unless something eats it or unless you get rid of it and move it elsewhere. Uh, in Australia, where you had 
all these cows that were being brought over from Europe uh, when uh, Australia was colonized by Europeans. You had all these cows, but you didn't have an ecosystem that was set up to handle large herbivorous droppings uh, all over you know, the ground. And so waste just started to build up uh, in all these areas, and then you would get runoff and then fertilizer burn from all the, the droppings. And so you just had this like dev- ecological devastation that was happening. And so there's a shitstorm, a, shit storm, a veritable shitstorm. <laughs> and so there is this project called the Australian Dung Beetle Project. Uh, and I heard that. so they imported, imported, uh, some. imported dung beetles that could basically serve this niche of being the waste management yeah system in australia did they do this before or after the cane toads incident that they imported which i think didn't work out as well did did they do the dung beetles first and they got overconfident and they're like yeah we can just bring in anything solve our problems th- next thing you know was, cane toads um i think it was after it was in the 60s to the 80s when they did the the australian dung beetle project um i don't know when the cane toads were introduced yeah i think it might have been earlier that's a bold move after the cane toads. Just go for it again. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the story of, yeah, ecological <laughs> restoration is like a lesson. lot of, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the cane toads were in the 1930s, error. 1930s apparently. First dung beetles okay. late 1960s. So, I mean, they did have some, some time went by. Yeah, I mean, Australia is an island and so it's just gotten ravaged. I mean, in World War II, they, I think it was in the 1800s, maybe when uh, conies or rabbits were introduced to Australia um, for sport. And they just completely ravaged <laughs> the landscape. And yeah, so yeah, Australia has been somewhat of an ecological nightmare in the same way that uh, <laughs> but Hawaii But the dung beetles been. are a beacon of success. Yeah. Otherwise, a dark night of ecological mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's, I guess, is a problem with factory farming too as well, right? You get this like even more concentrated amounts of species and then you have to do something with it. Yeah. And I mean, part of the problem is that if you, you know, if you have an ecosystem where uh, you're not inputting a ton of extra nutrients or energy into the system, there can generally be uh, enough decomposers to handle the waste from those animals. But if you're running an industrial cow operation, dairy farm or overloads the decomposers. Yeah, you're inputting just a ton of calories in the form of hay or corn feed into that system and then there just isn't enough time or decomposers to handle that so they often have these like giant gross called poo lagoons next to them to handle <laughs> that um but these like slow digesters and yeah it's a big problem poo lagoon poo lagoon yeah starring brook yeah, shields a, yeah it was a little <laughs> less popular sequel to blue lagoon <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i heard they actually feed chicken chicken poop to cows sometimes the recycling because it can somehow help them with their ruminant digestion i don't know if that's true oh interesting seems like a bad idea on the surface yeah i mean it seems like i have chickens and it seems like my chickens are are pretty inefficient i mean the amount that they off put every day is pretty large so i'm assuming that their digestive tracts are maybe not the most efficient there's a lot of nutrients left over in those little piles that may be it we can include this in the show notes so maybe something about the cows are able to convert the the poop to protein for other reasons. So I've got I've got a, a a question for you that's probably like the number one most researched question around eating poop besides like uh you know my so, kid just ate poop is he gonna get sick? It's the number one question about eating number two. Yes, the number say. one about two. Uh why do dogs eat poop? Why do dogs eat poop? 
um, to gross out the cats. That yes. would be first thought. Because they are, you know, dogs, they, they do look embarrassed a lot of times when they do something wrong. Maybe they're just embarrassed. <laughs> they're embarrassed. Like, I didn't mean to do that. I messed up the floor. I'll take care of this. I'll eat it. Now do you love me again? You love me still. I'll eat some more poop. I'll eat your poop. I've read it with like, because um, like other canids, so other dog relatives will eat poop. But with domestic dogs, I had read like on some pet forums that that's a possible reason is that, yeah. Maybe they just want to be like the wolf. They're in touch with their wild. Like, I want to be wild again. I'm going to eat some poop. <laughs> yeah. And then they start howling at the moon with questionable breath. But yeah, they're happier. But no, like if you like body shame your your poor little pet into, you know, if they have a movement in the house and then you shame them for it, then they're going to be more inclined to eat it afterwards so that they don't get busted for the evidence. That seems like using dog training for, for you know, for the dark side. Yeah. Maybe literally. Um, why do they? I, I mean, is there one answer? Are there multiple answers to why dogs they're multi- Yeah, they're, uh, they're a bunch of hypotheses. Hypotheses on feces. Yeah, hypotheses on feces. <laughs> uh, yeah, and they have their different merits. But nobody really knows. Nobody. Well, I mean, there are different reasons. I think it's probably a combination, and there are different situations in so like uh, kennel dogs that are under a lot of stress, and it, it, the, if you're under a lot of stress, that it affects your digestive system significantly. And so, like IBS, one of the uh, causes of it can just be like an intense uh, traumatic stress event, irritable bowel syndrome. Right? Yeah, and so with um, like kennel dogs, you can get kennel dogs that eat uh poop uh as sort of a, a byproduct of being in a stressful environment and part of the reason is if your digestive tract is super stressed you're not retrieving as many nutrients as uh you sh- you know you need to survive and so if you're a dog you're an omnivore and seeing poop is a potential food source so it could be uh not because the animal's stressed but because the animal's stressed it's also nutrient stressed, and so that leads to that behavior. It could also just be that dogs are just generally omnivores, and so they're yeah. just capable. Yeah, this might work. Works yeah. Better. Dogs also, I mentioned earlier in that fox story where you had these two, the red fox and the gray fox that were marking their territories using both urine and, and feces. If you come across another animal's territorial signpost, then you could, you know, you just eat it. Get rid of it. it never you just eat it. Yeah, it never happened, right? It's hard because if your dog is something, you can put it in a basket and carry it away very easily, or even kick it. Kick it would take a long time. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could bury it, but yeah, that's true. Burying it might work, but if you're gonna go to all that work, why not just eat it? Yeah, so you could just eat it. Also, uh, the behavior seems to. So if you want to try and figure out, uh, you know, what the ultimate cause is, and again, there might be multiple causes. Um, you could look for different patterns. So you could look at like, given the same environmental conditions from puppy to adulthood, uh, is there a transition in how likely it is for a dog to eat poop? And it turns out that puppies are far more likely to eat poop than adults are. And so there's a certain amount of learning. So anything that's an omnivore, uh, which is eating a variety they of different things. They start with everything. They narrow they it down. They start with like... everything. And so, it's, so dogs are just like smelling a bunch of stuff and you never really know if something is edible might, or not. Might be it's, good. Yeah. Um, Give it yeah. a try. So yeah, at the top of the show, we were talking about poop as like being a taboo and then eating poop is definitely a taboo. <laughs> In most cultures. Yeah, it's only a taboo for us because digestively, we're not capable of doing it, right? It'll make us sick. There are pathogens and parasites in there. And so ingesting that can make us fatally sick. 
And so if some behavior is going to make you fatally sick, it would behoove you to find it disgusting. To find it Perhaps. disgusting, right? To uh, evolve through time a mechanism to detect what is good and what is bad. If you microwave, just I'm not just saying hypothetically, nothing. I'm considering trying that seriously. But if you microwaved poop and killed off all the pathogens that way, then could you make use of its nutrients in theory? A survival situation. You know, you had no food, but you had electricity in a microwave. So it's it's an obscure situation, but. I don't see why not. I mean, there's there's a, a company uh, that makes elephant dung coffee. It's called uh, Black Ivory Coffee. And they uh, it's similar to with like uh, Civet Coffee or Kopi Luwak, I think is what it's called, where humans have taken coffee beans that have passed through the or di- uh, coffee fruits that have passed through a digestive tract of either an elephant or a civet. And then it comes out the rear end and then it's been partially digested and you're left with just the the bean and then that can get roasted and then sold for, you know, insane amounts of money. I think they tried various animals, like dozens of animals and elephants. Uh, I don't know. Um, Quality grab me. I wonder which was the worst. Yeah, it's possible. Apparently with the the civets, it was uh, the Dutch had colonized um, in like Sarawak, sort of Polynesian area where the civets live and they had colonized that area and were growing coffee there. Um, but they wouldn't let any of the locals eat the coffee. And right. so the only way the, they could get coffee was, yeah, the only way they could get it was from eating, uh, from the civets. And then of course now it's been exploited by <laughs> wealthy white people in, uh, Seattle. And so it's, yeah, it's super expensive. It's like 30 bucks a, a cup or something like Have that. You had and, it? Have you had it? No, no, no. I don't drink coffee, but this brings um, up so many questions to I mean, there's also the question of if the elephants eat a lot of coffee, I mean, are they on the big caffeine buzz? And then how do they behave? Are they running? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure how it affects their behavior. I mean, I don't know, I, if I I don't want know that it makes up a significant up amount of their diet. Maybe not. They'd have to eat a lot. <laughs> or if they might be really sensitive to it because it's their first time. I think, and you mentioned like microwaving or roasting oh, right. poop. And so you could do that with the beans that have passed through a digestive tract. And one of Good the things point. that it does for the coffee is it makes it less acidic as the digestive enzymes sort of break it down. But uh, one of the other things you could do is like if parasites and potential pathogens are the problem, and if you could kill those by roasting or boiling, then what you could do like is uh, you could boil out the nutrients. So you could potentially take. Uh, probably more with like herbivore poop, uh, poop where herbivores are less efficient in digesting their prey. And so you could take like a bunch of rabbit poop and uh, boil it down. And maybe maybe the tea as well. You could drink compost tea. I always wondered, you know. Yeah, if anyone it sounds super gross, mistake. but I mean, you could do it in a pinch. I had read and then I tried when I was researching for this to find any verification of it and I couldn't. Um, but I went, when I was studying uh, in a geology class out west, uh, we maybe it was at like a museum or somewhere where I heard along the way that uh, Navajo um, people would add rabbit pellets to like stews as a thickener. And as you boil it, it would both thicken the stew, but also, again, you you would be able to derive nutrients from stuff that hadn't been broken down. I don't know if that was just like uh, had sort of a racist underpinnings yeah, quite, to it, um, or if that was a, a genuine fact. But I haven't been able to find any confirmation of it, so it's probably more the former. I wonder. I mean, you're a runner, you're a racer. Maybe if you could do this rabbit pellet in your soup, make you a little quicker, a little more rabbit-like. <laughs> yeah, but I guess that that brings me back to your other question about uh, boots and watching him. So uh, boots. 
he so uh i'll put a, a maybe a link to a photo of him in the, the show notes but he is like a basset hound sharpay mix he's got these big old floppy jowls and he will snuff along the ground and particularly in the winter when you have like we have this little apple tree outside our house and it has all these little shoots that'll come up in the summer and i don't trim them back and then the rabbits will eat them in the winter and so they leave a whole bunch of their little pellets there and boots will just go around snuffing on the ground he's not really licking he's just sniffing and he'll breathe out and his jowls will flap and then he'll breathe in and he'll just like suck up like a little vacuum cleaner all these little <laughs> rabbit pellets so he, he eats a, a an alarming amount of rabbit pellets it. during the winter huh well we do what we can to make it through these vermont winters too. yeah <laughs> yeah we sure we do all have our own methods yeah. But yeah, I guess all that to say about dogs is just that we, there are a bunch of different ideas. They're probably all on some level right of, you know, so inoculation, I guess we didn't mention inoculation, but uh, if you're a dog and you're just eating uh, dog food, you have a pretty uniform diet of stuff that has been largely dried. And so it's, you know, not biologically active. It doesn't have um, bacteria and protists in it that could help your digestive tract. So eating poop could be a way of inoculating your stomach. There's also removing your competitor's poop, um, and then learning what to to eat or not eat. So puppies eating it to experiment, um, and then also like hiding your poop if you're ashamed. <laughs> yeah. So. Multiple reasons. Yeah, that's why doggies poop. So they get their fecal plugs, their transplant, just like taking a pill. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I heard they have that for humans too, right? They have little poop pills you can take instead of a transplant. It's down the hatch. Seems yeah, easy. and they're supposed to be super, super effective. I mean, irritable bowel syndrome is something that's incredibly difficult and uh, to treat. And yeah, it has a bunch of like sort of nebulous causes. But yeah, these fecal transplants are... Is it like a thoroughbred horse? Like, like there's someone out there who has just like really good poop for, for plugs or transplant. And so they like... You know, theirs is worth a lot of money. They get sort of just get fed all day and they poop all day and they make all these plugs because they're like super high quality. Just a question. Don't have to answer it now. We can look it up. Or who provides them? I mean, how do you how do they recruit that? That's a great question. I don't really know. There's a citizen science project where you can send fecal samples in. And they will analyze your uh, fecal sample to find out what your gut bacteria looks like. (laughs) So how diverse it is. So uh, potentially you could use data from that to, yeah, sort of determine what, uh, who the healthiest human was and then mine their (laughs) droppings for, yeah, these little pellets. Well, there's a site. The first one, first one I looked up, openbiome.org. Your stool can save lives and you can click to become a donor. You can make $250 a month. Oh, interesting. No, that's and different from the one that I was thinking of. You can fulfill an urgent public health need by just wow. donating stool. Yeah. So in these tough times, might be an idea. Yeah. Um, the last uh, the last one that I want to mention is, is sort of an indirect way of eating your poop. And I had uh, two sort of examples of this. One was with termites. And termites build their mounds out of uh, poop. They stick them together. Um, but they also have uh, sort of these underground mycoagriculture. I don't know if that's what you would call it. But basically where they're growing mushrooms on their own feces. Uh, and oh. then they uh, will harvest those mushrooms for food. So they're not necessarily eating poop, but they're eating the immediate. They're using it as fertilizer, mini fertilizer. 
for fungus. Yeah, and then the other, uh, this isn't really eating, uh, I guess, in the same way, but like with plants. So plants are definitely decomposing and breaking down uh, poop and retrieving the nutrients from those and then drawing them up into uh, yeah the shoots and the leaves of the, the uh, body of the plant. There's a cool research project out of the Rocky Mountain National Park, and they... I think this was like maybe three or four years ago, had collected some bear scat and then planted it. And so they separated out the seeds and then germinated them. And they got like 1,200 different uh, seeds to germinate, mostly chokecherry and grapes. But it's kind of cool. So, you, I mean, you have 1,200 seedlings that all come up out of a single dropping from the bear. And that poop that it comes with is the broken down sort of fleshy parts of the grapes and of the choke cherries. And so there's all this like fertilizer or all these nutrients and energy that the bear hasn't completely broken down that are released with the scat uh, or with the, the seeds. And so then those little seeds have this pile of nutrients that they can feed off of and fuel some of their early growth, which is kind of oh, cool. Almost a whole forest in a single dropping. We could, I'm not saying we should change the name of the podcast, but maybe for this season, a single dropping would be an alternative. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah although with bears they, they they poop like seven to ten times a day now do the plants actually take in the poopers that like decomposers you know fungus and other things that and then break it down into its nutrients and then the plants take it up or are there plants that can sort of do that themselves with their roots yeah it kind of depends i mean it's it's both you know um and so plants uh their little root hairs are are relatively large compared to the mycelium of of uh, fungi, and so for f- fungi that have much smaller little root like structures, they have a lot more surface area. They have far more powerful digestive enzymes that can break down uh, nutrients in the soil. So, and o- often they'll create these mycorrhizal networks where it's like a symbiotic relationship between the fungi and the plant where the plant sending down sugars and the fungi is sending up nutrients. Um, so the fungi are better at breaking down the nutrients from uh, droppings from animals, uh, but plants are definitely capable of doing it. They're just not as efficient, not as efficient at doing as it. They're mycorrhizal partners. Huh. Yeah. And for something like, I mean, choke cherries and grapes are both really good at colonizing disturbed areas where there might not already be in that site, a intact uh, mycorrhizal network that there might be in like an older growth forest. So I, I guess maybe we'll leave it there. That's quite a, a bit to, to digest. Eh? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is. There's something about, uh, yeah, scat and like dog grooming places that are just so geared towards puns. They're so... <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I was just thinking, like, next time I tell a person to eat shit, which I try not to do, then I can describe the various reasons they might want to do so, or if they were <clears throat> different kinds of organisms, the benefits they might they might accrue from my suggestion, from my kindly suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this shit is fascinating. It sure is. Yeah, cool. Well, uh, yeah, next time we'll talk about the different ways that animals can use uh, their poop as a tool rather than just as something that you eat. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm looking right, forward to that. Yeah. Well, thanks, Glenn. Thank you again, Teague, for your bountiful knowledge. Yeah. And I'll see you soon. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. It's always a fine line between too gross and super fascinating when it comes to eating poop. 
But the curiosity of a naturalist often overrides our better judgment and social taboos. And thank goodness for that. Coming up in the next episode, we'll focus on the practical uses of poop. Until then, we'd greatly appreciate you dropping a five-star review for us. It definitely helps us get the word out there on iTunes and other podcast apps. And after you're done with that, head on over to crowspath.org podcast to get in touch with us through the Woodland Message Board. Here you can ask questions, suggest future topics, and post fake ads that we'll read on the air. You'll also find archived episodes, online natural history programs, and lots of other natural history content. All right, naturalists, well, that's it for now. We'll see you next time on The Single Acorn.